What are you going to spend your Trump bucks on? Uh, well, we shouldn't call them Trump bucks. That's that's no, too political. Too that's, political. That's, too hot. Too hot right now. It's too hot. It's way too hot. Um, you know, I'm going to spend my freedom bucks. Uh, freedom bucks on paying a tax professional to do my 2018 taxes. You probably shouldn't confess to <laughs> <laughs> tax tax well, evasion on air. Taxes like this week, so I mean, I'm, okay, I'm going right. to complete so, them. I won't have this on my record long enough for okay. it to ever matter. If the IRS can listen to this and track me down in the week that it's going to take me to oh my, my 2018 returns, like slam dunk, I will I will walk happily yeah, to jail. Just send you to jail. Yeah, exactly. Um, honestly. The problem would be if one of our listeners is like an IRS agent or if they were to like tip you off. But honestly, like you said, if the IRS can track you down in a week and, and, and file a case against you, I want the IRS working for me as a district attorney. (laughs) Yeah. That would be incredible. It would be like the best investigative agency in the world. I am pretty sure with all that's going on right now, with all the million people that are calling them every day, wondering if they're going to get their freedom bucks that, uh, their investigative arm is probably answering calls right now. Yeah, they're probably very annoyed right now. Yeah. I read that uh, when the stimulus package must have been 2010, I think it was, was the last major stimulus package we got, but that the IRS sent out a letter to everyone in America that was like, you're fine, you'll get your money, calm down. And they were they were trying to do that to stop the phone calls, but it actually the letters increased their phone calls (laughs) and they had their first 1 million call day, like the day after they sent all those letters out. So they were like, that is amazing. (laughs) That is incredible. Incredible cell phone by the IRS. And apologies to any IRS agents that listen to this podcast, but the IRS is evil. Taxation is theft. Give me my freedom bucks. Yep. I hear you. I will be spending them on maybe increasing my bandwidth because (laughs) I dropped a banger of an Elway roast thread today. Shout out to everybody that listened to the original Elway roast. I actually had some requests to put it in tweet form so that they'd have it with them. You know, they could access it on the go. Mm-hmm. You know, they could roast Elway on the go. You know, maybe you're 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 in a meeting. You know, whatever it is, you're eating dinner with your family. Like you could you could scroll through the tweets and enjoy them without you know having to listen to the audio. So I did that. Well, I also feel that you're tweets are way easier to get in the face of Broncos fans because let's oh, face sure. it, they're never, ever, ever going to listen to the second. Never, ever. And to be fair, they also did not read the thread. <laughs> no. uh, if you have not checked the thread out, I highly recommend that you do just so that you can see the replies because 99% of them either did not read it or they read it and had zero comprehension of it because the things that they say are literally things that are addressed in the thread. So uh, I'm going to spend my freedom bucks, maybe upgrade my bandwidth. You're going to get like a bigger screen so that I can just tap, 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 tap. That's all I've been doing all afternoon. It's been uh, insane, but it's been very gratifying. I've triggered a lot of Broncos fans today. Well, that's what you're really good at is triggering Broncos fans. I mean, you're good at many things, but that is like if if you were to describe your ideal skill set, it would be online trolling Broncos fans. Yeah, and Raiders fans and Patriots fans and, <laughs> yeah. you know, pretty much, well, pretty but much I think, any fan. Of I any think team your location in Denver gives you a special <laughs> sort of inside job type of mentality. That is very true. And they that hear that true. you're from their area and they know you live right amongst them. Someone, you know, when they go to the grocery store, one of those guys could be bird lawyer. 
Yeah. And, and I, in fact, I went to the grocery store on my way home today uh-huh. and I was like, I was like dodging, you know, all these sick people walking around and I was trying to sanitize. And I was also at the same time, furiously tapping out my responses to all these tweets that were coming in from all these Bozo Broncos fans. They're like, Oh, Oh, it was the goat. You didn't watch him play. Blah, 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 blah. blah. Uh, so that was a harrowing experience. I don't recommend it. Um, but I did get a lot of groceries. I got myself a nice big old 18 pack of Coors Banquet. Listen, beer snobs, don't judge me. It is delicious. Uh, Taylor, I know you're allergic, so you yeah. know you, you I'm not never judging. get to enjoy the banquet burr as it is. But it's uh, you know, it's our it's our hometown beer in Colorado here. So uh, I I work just down the road from the Coors factory, so I got myself some ice delicious Coors. You know what's going to stimulate my package? What? Talking about the Chiefs. Welcome in to episode six. I am told of it's always sunny in Chiefs Kingdom. I'm Austin. I'm Taylor. And we're here to talk Chiefs. We had a free agency breakdown last week that ended up not really being about the Chiefs at all because the Chiefs didn't really do anything in free agency. We had a horrible dog fight the week before that that cost us a week. We had to take a week off so that Taylor could heal up his hands, get back to typing and editing our videos uh, our um, not videos, our podcast, whatever. Uh, so we're going to be back this week with a pretty standard episode. We do have some mailbag questions that we'll get to at the end that we solicited uh, three weeks ago. I think we filtered out some of the ones that are no longer relevant, but uh, we've got some good ones on here. We're going to talk uh, the Detroit game. So that was week four of the 2019 season. We're doing our, our recap. So we're going to talk through that game. We'll probably do that first. And then I guess we'll talk about the free agency moves in between there that the Chiefs have made. Um, There's a couple ones in there that we can talk about. So, Taylor, you want to start off with week four, Chiefs at Detroit Lions? Yeah, you know, uh, when we started doing this recap thing, I knew that it would be pretty fun to go back through our Super Bowl winning regular season. But uh, some of the weeks, I will admit, are were a little less memorable than others. But this Detroit game, to me, stood out for a number of different really crazy and ridiculous reasons. this was September 29th. The Chiefs were 3-0 and coming into this game. They had just had a great win against the Ravens. They were, you know, one of the three remaining undefeated teams in the AFC, and, and everything was cooking, and Pat had been throwing for 300 yards and no interceptions every game, and it was really uh, uh, all systems go for the Chiefs. And then the uh, Detroit Lions were – they had gotten um, – they were 2-0-1. and They tied that game early with the Cardinals. Undefeated. Yeah, but undefeated, exactly. So the uh, – I believe this would be the fourth straight undefeated team that the Chiefs played. Jacksonville was undefeated. Oakland was undefeated. Baltimore was undefeated. That's right. So, um, you know, another good – another test. Uh, this was another road one where the Chiefs started off and there was a little bit of adversity as there was in the Oakland game. At the end of one quarter, it was 10 to nothing Lions. Um, really this was two pretty 
bad drive or bad endings to good drives for the Chiefs. Uh, they ended their first drive missing a short 36 yard field goal, Butker's first miss of the season. And then they ended their second one on the five yard line with a 23 yard field goal, but that was in the start of the second quarter. Uh, basically, they just weren't executing at the end of their drives, but they still, the offense was moving. Um, Stafford, I thought, was a big plus for the Lions this game. Um, oh yeah. He, he wasn't really, you know, he's always been one of those guys. We've talked about him quite a bit. He puts up numbers, but that's about it. He doesn't really ever do things when they matter, but this game, he came out and he looked like, I remember they were interviewing him before the game started about comparisons with Mahomes and with, you know, Stafford being a number one overall pick guy and kind of being a disappointment throughout his career. And he wanted to show that like, he was a good young quarterback as well. Although I guess he's not really that young anymore but uh not anymore not anymore he was once yeah but you know he was sharp he looked good he did and honestly um i don't know if i've i've espoused this take on the podcast before but stafford was kind of the guy that you know he's always been a really interesting quarterback to me because to me he's kind of like a what if Mahomes had been drafted by the 0-16 Detroit Lions. Like, yeah. what would his career look like? Yeah. As opposed to what it does look like, which is being drafted by a great team with a great coach, great infrastructure. Um, and I think Stafford, I, I mean, to me, like, when we drafted him, I kind of was like, well, you know, that that seems like the floor to me. You know, Matt Stafford's career, where you've got a guy with incredible physical ability um, who who may not ever put it all together. And I don't think Matt Stafford is necessarily – ever put it all completely together. Although I, I really think, you know, especially, you know, as he's gotten into his thirties, you know, despite the total lack of infrastructure and coaching support from the lions, he's turned into a pretty good player. He, he played a hell of a game in this game, just made some incredible throws. Yeah. Yeah. He was on his game. That was about as good as Matt Stafford as I've ever seen him for sure. Don't watch a ton of NFC football, but as much as we can. And uh, yeah, he was every, on, every Thanksgiving, man, <laughs> every Thanksgiving, we watch the lions. That's true. Usually lose to the Cowboys or the Packers or someone, but uh, yeah, it was, um, it was impressive. The lions, crowd was rowdy uh matt patricia has their you know has them thinking that they could actually play some defense for once we would find out (laughs) later in the year that that wasn't exactly true uh but they did start the year off pretty solid and i do remember thinking that this was a team that um if they played the way they did against us moving forward they would which they did not they did not but they would have been a team to be reckoned with a little bit in the nfc but you know it was kind of uh it was back and forth for a little bit and it wasn't super notable until they got to the <laughs> the third quarter so it was uh we the oh chiefs God, tied the game the up third quarter. 13, 13 with just a they came back and scored a couple or scored a touchdown and kicked two field goals in the second quarter um so it goes into halftime we had tied them up 13 and then um Stafford comes out and at the five yard line on third and goal at the five, he fumbles the ball. He, he actually like dropped the ball. It was really, strange. we call that, we call that a Derek Carr. That's like, yes, a, yes. That's exactly. one of Derek Carr's signature moves. Exactly. Yeah. Signature touchdown dance. That's right. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> he dropped the ball and we picked it up. So we saved a touchdown drive there. It was still tied. And then Daryl Williams fumbled the ball right back to them a couple plays later. So it was two fumbles in a row. And then, oh, and actually, so this half started off with McCole Hardman fumbling the kickoff. Yes, so yes. So they got yes. the ball at the 36 of ours to start off the half. And then they fumbled at the five. We fumble right back at the 30. And then the craziest fumble of the whole game is the fourth consecutive possession that ends with a fumble. It's just. Carry on Johnson ridiculous. up the middle for no gain. 
and the pile's sitting there. It's at the one-yard line, first and goal at the one. Always a touchdown, first and goal at the one. You very rarely see a team even not score eventually. But uh, And then somehow, some way, Bashad Breland was paying close enough attention to the play that he realized that the ball had just kind of squirted out a little bit. It looked like he was already down. No one, no one around him even knew what was going on. But he scooped, and he starts running down the sideline. And I remember the TV had no idea what was going on. Uh, Honey Badger was running behind him. And eventually, he runs all the way 100 yards down the field. And the Chiefs go from about to be down 20 to 13 to being up 20 to 13. And it was probably the single greatest momentum swing of the entire season for the regular season. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's funny, you were talking about the guys on the TV not knowing what was going on. You know, I was in the car uh, when this game was live. I was kind of driving home from somewhere. I don't remember where exactly I was, but um, I was actually driving right by uh, Empower Field in Denver when this play happened, uh, which is funny. Um, But, I mean, Mitch Holthus, who is, I think, among broadcasters. I mean, like he picks things up so fast. It's incredible to me just how quickly, you know, I mean, the, the play that oh, always so that I always think of is uh, that Eric Berry picked two against uh, the Falcons yeah. a couple years ago. Just how quickly in the moment to realize this is worth two points. It's going back the other way. It's going to give the Chiefs the lead. And even he, it took him a minute. And, you know, he's also got a signature touchdown call. So, like, it's always a little bit funny, you know. Yeah. To, to like kind of you can almost like hear the wheels spinning a little bit where he's like eh, do, I, yeah. do I say touchdown Kansas City or or do I wait you know kind of at the uh the end of the explanation there um but yeah I mean like it's one of those plays that uh, I love listening to the radio sometimes I mean I obviously I watched the game as soon as I got home but it's so funny just plays like that to kind of hear it described and you're like trying to picture in your head like what 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 happened what is happening what is happening <laughs> what is happening um but yeah i mean obviously a huge huge momentum shifter you're talking about essentially a 14 point swing on one play just an unbelievable fluke of a play and frankly this was a i mean this was a weird fluky game and a game that the chiefs absolutely should have lost yeah absolutely they should have uh, the lions did something that I I only saw a couple more times the rest of the season, but I thought worked to extreme, extreme perfection, which was to forcefully punch at the ball. They did it about, you know, the the two fumbles, the Nicole Hardman kickoff fumble, the Daryl Williams fumble. And then there was a pass into the end zone, which eventually the Chiefs had to settle for three, where Sammy Watkins had the touchdown. He had it in his grasp. It was a slam dunk and the defender came up. I think it was Slay and just punched it right out. And there goes four points there. And I just remember during this game thinking like, so why doesn't every team in the NFL approach defense like this? I thought maybe Matt Patricia was onto something. They obviously, it never worked like this ever again, but um, we, we were fumbling the ball left and right. Boy, it sure as hell worked in this game though. (laughs) Yeah. As a fan, that is one of the most frustrating experiences as a fan just speaking for myself that I have ever experienced, just like mm-hmm. hold on to the ball. Right. Right. Like it's not, it shouldn't be that hard. And this, this was kind of the game that kicked off a rash of fumbling for the chiefs where we were just fumbling 
I mean, multiple times a game for several weeks in a row. Yeah. And you saw a couple of other teams, I mean, occasionally try and punch the ball out. I'm not sure why more teams don't do that. I mean, I, I think part of it is, you know, if you're trying to punch the ball out, there's, there's a better chance, I guess, that you're just going to whiff and miss the tackle. I mean, that happens to me all the time in Madden. It feels like where, you know, I'm, I'm going for the hit stick and then I just, <laughs> I just whiff. Yeah. And the guy's gone and he scores a touchdown on me. Um, I'm sure that's not how it works in real life, but yeah, uh, certainly an aggressive, uh, defense from the lions. And, you know, I'm sure that Matt Patricia, uh, made a phone call or two to, uh, his old pal, Bill Belichick that week, you know, trying to get some tips. How you doing? (laughs) Hey Matt, why don't you try telling your guys to punch the ball out? See if that works. See if you can. Can try I that. reviewed some film from 1997 and it seemed like <laughs> punching the ball is the correct approach for this offense. <laughs> uh, it didn't work as it turns out though, because we have Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And Pat did Pat stuff here. Um, after the lions were denied a absolute touchdown to Kenny Galladay earlier and they ended up losing a fumble. So they, already lost six points there. And then they lost 14 points on the carry on Johnson fumble. They were still up in the fourth quarter and you, hate you know, to see it. You, you do hate to see it Uh Testament to the lions for staying strong and for uh, sticking with a super bowl caliber and eventual super bowl champion team the way they did. But with two minutes and 26 seconds to go, they only had a three point lead. And I'm sorry, if you're going to have a three point lead and hand it back to Patrick Mahomes with two twenty six left, you ain't going to like what you, what happens. And Pat did, uh, he did Pat stuff. He did his uh, fourth and eight, 15 yard scramble where, uh, you know, obviously the knee was looking fine there and he was super clutch. And he hit that, that Byron Pringle pass down to the yeah. three yard line where Byron yeah. Pringle got destroyed. Oh, he got yeah, crushed. And, and spun around. And of all the times that we fumbled in that game, you would have, I would have put money if I saw that play and didn't see the result that he would have fumbled that ball. I mean, he was, but he held on to it. They got Daryl Williams. They pushed him over the pile with 20 seconds left. And that was all she wrote. And the Chiefs escaped 4 0. I'm glad you brought up that Byron Pringle play because I was just uh, looking at the play by play to remember how exactly that went down. And uh, I'm glad we brought it up because we've kind of mentioned Byron Pringle's name a couple of times. Mm -hmm. It might be a name that we hear more this season because the Chiefs are losing to Marcus Robinson. I assume he still is not signed. Um, And, you know, we only have, what is it, five draft picks total? Yeah. And so, you know, you wouldn't expect the Chiefs probably to invest a high pick in a wide receiver, given all the other needs that we have. And so that number three wide receiver, uh, assuming that Sammy's gone, but if, I mean, who knows? Yeah. Sammy's still on the team as of right now, but, but that play by Pringle, I mean, that was a hell of a play, man. I, I just, I don't know how he held onto that ball. He, uh, he ended up being our de facto kick returner in the second half too, because McColl got himself benched after that ludicrous fumble. And he had a couple of nice kick returns there in the second half too. Um, you know, just kind of going through some of the the players in this game. I mean, Daryl Williams had eight carries for 13 yards <laughs> and two touchdowns, which is hilarious. But this was kind of the start of, you know, every running back on the team kind of had their time in the sun. Yeah. Yeah. Had their time in the sun this year. And, 
And this was kind of the start of Daryl Williams' ascendance. He he had a nice little three, four-week run in there where he was getting some run, not not ever as the primary back, but uh, kind of the 1A role there for a while, and did some nice things with it. I'm, I'm excited to see kind of what he brings to the table uh, in 2020, assuming we have a 2020. You know, Damian was hurt, and Daryl had a really nice game against the Ravens the week before where yep. he had about 90 total yards and looked like uh, a pretty nice piece. And then, yeah, the two touchdowns this game, um, sure, eight rushes for 13 yards. You uh, you want to see that pick up. But he did have 43 yards receiving. So, you know, he, he showed that he was a weapon. Oh, and, of course, we can't forget the Barnum and Bailey between Kelsey and McCoy this game. Oh, you know, my God. The play How of the year. I mean, that save was the best for last. Absolutely. The uh, I, We've talked about laterals a couple times. Um, uh, just with ourselves, with how yeah, how teams should do them more. Yeah, we don't really see yeah. it. And yeah, I guess the NFL is a pretty risk averse business in general, and extremely. And lateraling it is like an insanely risky play because you're yeah. immediately you know tempting the fumble fates there. But you saw, God, especially in this game. <laughs> <laughs> well, right, and I think maybe that was. You know, they'd already had five fumbles. They figure, like, what's the worst that could happen? We just fumble again. <laughs> yeah, That's fine. Right. We've we've dealt yeah. with that. But yeah, sure. the uh, the Kelsey flip is clearly that was not drawn up. Clearly, he was went up with the ball, and as he was coming down, Shady was just standing there. I think because I've watched that play like a thousand times, and it kind of looked like Shady thought the ball was going to him. They were both kind of running in the same general yeah. direction. Pat was in scramble drill a little bit threw it back across his body. And when Kelsey went up for it and he's coming down, there's literally no defender around Shady and he's just staring right at him. So, I mean, you know, Kelsey credit to him playing backyard football and just thought, here you go. (laughs) He's got me, but he doesn't have you. I think is what the play by play call was, but. Yeah. And, and credit to LaShawn McCoy too. I mean, the, the reason that that you don't see that more often is because uh, like you said, I mean, the risk of it not working out is so high but when you don't have a designed play like that, and it's not like a you know like something crazy like an end of the game kick yeah, return where they you don't know expect there's going to be a lateral. Right. I mean that's that's just it. You have to be able to read and react instantly. And you're talking about skill position players who obviously are are, are reading and adjusting the ball. But when you're running forward and the ball is coming backwards, <laughs> that's a weird situation, right? Uh-huh. Like uh, it's not something that you see hardly ever. Um, but it is something where, you know, they talked about after the game, it would be fun. I hope that when Mahomes retires, they just, they do like, uh, they just release like all the practice footage for his entire career. Cause I just want to see what crazy shit they practice during the week. I mean, and Kelsey kind of, you know, they're always really coy about it, which is really funny. Like, you know, like, oh yeah, we totally drew it up that way. But like, they do practice we know that they practice weird stuff mm-hmm. every single practice. Mm-hmm. Like they do, they practice weird stuff. And Mahomes, I mean, I, obviously he wasn't directly involved in this play, but like he, he's been quoted before as saying like, look, the reason I do that stuff is because then the, when I do it in a game, it won't be the first time I've tried it. Yep. Like I've done it before. Yep. And it just makes so much sense to do it that way. And I guess when, you know, you're already amazing at, the normal you know he doesn't really need to practice (laughs) yeah well exactly when you're already amazing at the normal acts of quarterbacking you know i mean i guess the reason why every quarterback doesn't do that is because like you know you've got other things that you need to be working on right but like 
I, I mean, if you're already that good, why not practice it? And it's, it's just so cool that like, that's the mentality that the team has. I mean, it's amazing. Well, that's greatness. That's what you see with the great, the great ones push the boundaries of what's possible and they push the boundaries of what people expect. And yes, and that's absolutely when, as soon as Mahomes stepped on that field with Andy Reed, you know, they were thinking, well, what, what is possible? What could we ever do? And, and both of their minds are so amazing that combining them together has been it's been silly. This was the this was the game, was it not, that it gave us the the Pat Mahomes. Uh, we don't have to do anything other than be ourselves. Uh, that sounds right. Win the game, yeah, right? yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's on yep. the sideline, yep. and I truly believe that. Yep. Yeah, that yep. that was like our first great Patrick Mahomes sideline speech of the season, and right. we obviously ended up getting some great ones mm. in the Houston game, in the Super Bowl, right. you know, uh, all along the season. But this was really the first one where, and really one of the first times in his career where it's been like a true two minute drill, go down yep. and win the game yep. kind of situation. And of course and he was, he money. nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I mean, you know, of course. Yep. Um, only other stuff from this game. Um, the chiefs won the, or lost the time of possession battle, which we will see come into play. Cause now we're, we're about to get into weeks five and six, which were Ugh. ugly, but um, dirty. It was, it was 26 minutes to 34 minutes. So they lost it pretty considerably. Um, the lions rushed for 186 yards. Carry on Johnson had a great game. Um, these were kind of some portents of things to come. Um, but you know, dubs dub. And we were feeling pretty good about ourselves Four and oh, two road win, three road wins. And, uh, you know, that's what, uh, when you've got the MVP, hard stuff kind of looks easy. Yep. It was a fun, it was a fun game. And, uh, unfortunately starting next week, we have to get into some kind of gross games. That's all right. We'll we'll move through them quickly. (laughs) This game was a little bit gross, but the outcome was good, which it always feels good to go home with the win. Yeah. You want to talk about free agency for a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Let's kind of riff on uh, what's been going down. Well, sure. So our big moves to recap, uh, we re-signed Anthony Sherman mm-hmm. to a one-year deal. So Sausage is back in town. Uh, as of the time that we're taping this, we don't have the exact details, I don't believe, unless they came out I sure haven't seen this them. afternoon and I missed it. And uh, we also re-signed Mike Pinnell yep. to a one-year deal. Uh, I, I don't think we've seen the amounts on that either. Although again, at the time that we're taping this, which is Wednesday night, it's about nine fifteen arrowhead time. Um, we haven't made any other moves and we had $500,000 in cap space. So what I'm getting at is uh, we could have gotten them for very cheaply or we could see another move coming very soon um, when, when these moves become official because they do need, I mean, unless they got both of those guys to sign for $500,000, right. Which would be amazing. Right. And, <laughs> and probably impossible given both of their seasons last year. Yeah. Probably impossible. Um, and we also signed a quarterback, Jordan Tayamu. Yeah. Tayamu season. Tayamu. Let's talk about Tayamu because obviously we all love sausage. Um, we all love Mike Pinnell. I'm really glad to see Mike Pinnell back. Um, obviously, he had a I great agree. year. And that was a huge, he's a, huge. He's a Kansas return. City guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we love to see, obviously, a guy who got to come home, join the Chiefs midseason, have a huge impact, win the Super Bowl. I mean, 
it's the dream. And I know obviously he wanted to come back. I'm glad we were able to make the numbers work and everything like that. But Tayamu, uh, you and I were both big XFL fans when that was still going on before the world ended. We were. And uh, Mr. Tayamu, I think the last uh, season that or the last uh, week that we got the XFL, he ravaged me in fantasy. So um, still a little sore about that. It didn't end up mattering though, bro. So whatever. <laughs> That's true. It didn't end up mattering. Uh, but uh, he's 22 years old. He had a really good, uh, you know, season in the XFL, such as it was, five games or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, dual threat guy, good arm, good speed, a lot of agility uh, as a runner as well. First couple of games, he really did not show very much as a passer. And, uh, I mean, still was, was effective as a runner. But he really kind of came on uh, the last three games of the season as a passer. I'm just kind of – Going from memory. Sure, here. sure. Um, well, I think you've also got to kind of toss those first two games out. They didn't have a preseason. They were all, yeah. you know, kind of thrown in the ring, and their very first game together was a week one. So, I mean, as much as I, I feel like the Tayamu that we saw for the second half of the season that we saw was a lot more indicative of what he actually is as a quarterback. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, it's the, the XFL guys. Like, this is, we yeah. haven't, we haven't, gotten a good baseline for well, obviously it's not an NFL level of competition. It's hard to say, you know, how much worse it is, you know, like, like what, how much his production means. I mean, it doesn't mean a whole lot, but he, um, he certainly showed out. And what I like about this move is, I mean, I wouldn't expect him, you know, certainly he's not going to supplant Chad Henney as the backup this year, but you know, when you are paying your quarterback as we're about to do, when you can find value in positions that aren't going to be starters, uh, you know, your backup quarterback, your special teamers, um, that kind of thing, that really helps you with your cap with respect to the rest of the roster. And so what I like about this is just, it gives us a a developmental piece. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we've got Kyle Shermer kind of in the fold too, but you know, not only do you have the potential there, if you can develop him a little bit for, to save you some money, and still have a decent backup situation. If you can develop them into an intriguing piece, you know, show them out in those preseason games, week 17, you know, we've clinched and he shows something, you could always get a draft asset for him too. You know who that, who's playing that is, right? Uh, I mean, that's the Patriots way. It is like, the Patriots slam way. dunk. I mean, they had sure, Brady yeah. for that whole time and they still – were able to get value out of Garoppolo and value out of Hoyer. And va- I mean, they, they flip their backup quarterbacks all the time. And, they do. And that was because people also, not only did they have some intriguing uh, draft picks. Matt Castle. Matt Castle, exactly <laughs> right. So not only do they have people that people are intrigued by, but also people just want someone that's been in that room. Jacoby Reset. Absolutely. That's been where the greatness happens. Yep. It's been in the same quarterback room with Pat Mahomes that's been coached and by Andy, Andy Reid. That's been, yeah. you know, yeah. they want someone that's drank from that fountain so that they can hopefully get some of that themselves. And so pretty much whoever the Chiefs bring in, if they're a young guy. So, like, you know, the Chiefs were never going to get value out of Matt Moore and Chad Henney just because right. they're too old and no one's going to trade for them. They're just going to wait for them to basically get cut or whatever. But, I mean, no one really – but if you can get a guy that's learning his first football stuff as a professional from the Chiefs and we can mold him into a nice little piece, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at all if in three years the Chiefs flipped Tayamu after Pat's fourth straight Super Bowl 
and get a yeah. get a draft pick from him. Yeah. And, you know, it's uh, I like the fact that he's kind of that he's an athlete, that he's got an arm yeah. and that he can run a little bit, because that's something that certainly um, you, it feels like we mentioned Taysom Hill every lot, single podcast, so far, which is hilarious, which is hilarious. Um, but, you know, even you've seen the way that the 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 Ravens kind of wheeled out some two quarterback packages and that kind of thing. I mean, when you've got an athlete. Uh, like that as your backup quarterback, just on your roster, anywhere on your roster. It's just, it, it, it gives you some interesting options yeah. and in a way that having Chad Henney there does not, yep. right? Like it gives you, your offense some gonna, juice. Yep. Exactly. You're not going to line Chad Henney up out wide, or if you, you do, he's going to be doing the Joe Flacco <laughs> where he literally, literally does not <laughs> I even forgot run about around. That. Was that <laughs> yeah. Johnny football or, or no? Um, it was Joe Flacco just oh, and last, Lamar Jackson. Last, and Lamar yeah, Jackson. and Lamar Jackson. Yeah, yeah when Jackson. Lamar Jackson took over for him, <laughs> they'd have Flacco like line it up out wide, and he wouldn't even run. No. He'd just stand there. No. Man, that guy was uh, – he has not – Broncos cut, right Yeah, Broncos right. cut Flacco. And... We should riff on the rest of the division really quick because there have been some moves since last week. And since we're talking about backup quarterbacks – I want to talk about Marcus Mariota Ooh. joining the Oakland Raiders uh, uh, because not Oakland. Uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> the Las Vegas Raiders, the Las Vegas Raiders. Sure. I mean, the San Diego Chargers, ah. the Oakland Raiders, they're, they're always going to be. Yeah. I mean, the St. I, Louis so Rams. Yeah. The St. Louis Rams. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. The hmm. St. Louis, that that's an easy one to get over. Yeah. Um, so Marcus Mariota, the reason I want to bring this up is because the Raiders are doing the exact opposite of what the Chiefs are doing by bringing in Jordan Tayamu in that they are paying Marcus Mariota. Uh, $17 million, but yeah, up to yeah, at least $17 million <laughs> and up to like $35 million yeah. Yeah. if he wins the Super Bowl for them or whatever ridiculous escalators they put in his contract. Anyway, the point is, the Raiders just played a pretty bad quarterback, like 18 mil over two years to be, I guess the backup to Derek Carr. I don't know. I mean, I mean, they, they, there's, there's a controversy there, man. I think it says much more about their current thoughts on Carr. I just I think agree. that they, yeah, I agree. you know, Gruden's never really been a car guy as much as uh, I think Raiders fans hope he would be. He just, I, you can't. And by Raiders fans, you mean Raider Cody. Raider Cody. Yeah, of course I mean Raider Cody, but um, you know, he just, I don't know how you could be a football mind and enjoy Derek Carr being your quarterback. And so, you know, John Gruden for all the crap that we give him for being ridiculous. Cause he is ridiculous. I do think he understands talent. And yeah, I think that he knew from day one when he got in there that he would rather have a lot of quarterbacks in the league that aren't Derek Carr. And who knows, maybe Marcus Mariota has always been one of them, or maybe he now thinks he's one of them. But either way, the leash is as short as it's ever been for Carr, as it should be, because he hasn't been very good. And they've had, they have all these expectations in Vegas now and all these different, um, you know, the pressure's never been higher on him. And I wouldn't be shocked at all if Mariota finishes the season as their starter at all. That'd be fun. I'd be into it. And of course, the Broncos are a, I mean, with cutting Flacco and now they've got Locke and uh, sure they got Jeff Driscoll got, too, you know, they, former former Lion, yeah, former future Chief. That's right, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, the Chargers are gonna are gonna start 
Uh, Tyrod Taylor. I uh, yeah, allegedly. allegedly. I, I mean, that's still because the spot for Cam to land. I can't believe that they wouldn't at least kick the tires on Cam. I, I mean, and I honestly, I would legitimately hate to see it because yeah. while I am not going to make the mistake that every national media pundit makes and declare the Chargers the AFC West favorites if they get Cam Newton. Ah, they could be pretty good, though. They could be pretty good. Like, I mean, they're they're definitely not as good as us, and no. I would never, ever pick them to win over us, but they could be pretty frisky. That's like the one Easter missing his quarterback. Yeah, yeah. If they got a healthy Cam. Man, if they get Jameis. Yeah, I mean, even if they got Jameis, it would be pretty fun. Yeah. I would love it if they got Jameis. I mean, that would just be I, – I, he's just pure entertainment. That would be so fun to have in the division. Um, yeah, I mean, they could draft a quarterback, but it's oh, kind of Oh, they'll almost certainly bit, draft a quarterback, don't you think? Even if well, they sign I, a veteran. I did think, but then, you know, I they're mean, they've kind, of, they've kind of made some moves, though, where it feels like they're kind of trying to make a run – now, I mean, we talked about this a few weeks ago when we were kind of doing our our division preview and just talking about our rivalries yeah. and everything like that. And I mean, like, they're in a weird place with their roster, right? Because they have a really, really good secondary. They have two yeah. elite pass rushers. They, do. they signed a bunch of offensive linemen. They've got some good skill players. So really, like you said, like, all they're missing is a quarterback. Mm-hmm. So if you're drafting sixth, you're probably not going to get Tua you're definitely not going to get Burrow unless you go up so like are you going to start you know rookie Justin Herbert and like that's going to be your Super Bowl window? no I think they would draft Justin Herbert and start Tyrod or yeah but I mean like still like I mean I just feel like they're they just lost their quarterback that they've had for a decade and a half they're gonna want a new young quarterback project they're just gonna i i be i'll be flabbergasted if they don't draft a quarterback at sixth overall boy i really hope we have a draft Ugh. yeah so i mean between draft timing which the nfl still wants to go down as scheduled and the owners all unanimously said that they don't and the off-season programs and the, the start of the season it's all in question right now And I know we brought this up briefly last week, but it is worth pointing out again that when everything's in flux like that, you know, the Chiefs moves of bringing back Henny, bringing back Pinnell, bringing back Sausage, of trying to get the band as close to back together as the team that just won the Super Bowl, um, clearly we're positioning ourselves to be successful in a really, really unstable environment. Yeah, and I don't think, I mean, we did talk about it last week, but I don't think it can be said enough. Like, in an offseason where there is total unpredictability, it it is an advantage for teams that have continuity in their coaching staff and in their personnel. And on the offensive side of the ball, we have complete continuity. I mean, the only thing that could potentially change is you might have a couple of pieces maybe moving around on the offensive line a little bit. But the pillars of the offensive line, you know, the tackles are still going to be there, Fish and Schwartz. Your skill position players, you know, you, you – Sammy's something the only might, question there. Yeah, something might happen with Sammy, and, right. and D-Rob is probably gone. Yeah. But your main pieces, obviously Pat and Damian Williams and Tyree Kill and Travis, all those guys are all coming back. The entire offensive defensive coaching staff – is coming back. The head coach is coming back. I mean, it just like, just all, yeah. yeah. And 
you know, I mean, even now when the players are going into lockdown, like, you know, Tom Brady had, it was widely reported that his only question, which is bullshit, by the way, right. like right. he had a lot of questions, <laughs> but oh, his only question was what are his teammates' phone numbers so he could text them all or whatever, like, Come on, that's that's not true. That's made up. Easy as it gets. Yeah, it's totally made up. But guess who already has all of his teammates' <laughs> phone numbers? <laughs> Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes. And this is kind of this is going to sound kind of corny, but like I think it almost it it favors us a little bit that we have such a young team too. I mean, like you know, our, our I, I mean Mahomes and Tyreek, all the guys you know that are under twenty five. You know, they're they're on playing video games together and Yeah, they're on PlayStation. Yeah. And I'm sure they're talking about the playbook when they're doing that. Yep. You know, they're they're tech savvy. Yep. Like, you know, you don't have forty three year old Tom Brady and Bruce Arians trying to figure out how to, <laughs> how to fax face, each other. Yeah, how to fax <laughs> each other the playbook. You know, like it just is it it's gonna be it's gonna be a weird off season. The world is in a really strange place right now. Yeah. But if and when we get to play football, I feel really good about the place that our guys are gonna be in. I couldn't agree with you more. You wanna hit that mailbag? Hell yeah. So this was from three weeks ago that we asked these questions. Um, there were only really a couple from that thread that completely didn't apply anymore. Um, but you know, we'll just uh, we'll kind of go through them and and see what we've got. Uh, I'll let you go ahead and start us off. Okay. So we're going to start off with a question from Peter Yadrich, my man at Peter Y golf, real bird lawyer, which species of bird do you think fulfills each individual role within a standard trial of bird court? How does Harvey Birdman attorney at law fit into this ecosystem? Peter, I've been dodging your weird questions, but I will answer this one for you. Obviously the prosecutor, is going to be a crow because prosecutors are the smartest and most intelligent attorneys in the bird court Ah. and crows. I don't know if you know this, but crows are extremely intelligent. They can like memorize faces. They can memorize like 200 faces. I don't know who did this research, but props to them. (laughs) Uh, They can memorize like garbage routes. Apparently like they follow trash cans around. They know they're, they're extremely intelligent. Uh, The defense attorney would be an owl because owls people think that owls are smart and people think the defense attorneys are smart but actually owls are very stupid uh they're like a they're like a symbol of intelligence but actually they're hella dumb and so are defense attorneys so then a judge judge would be like an eagle you know something regal right like it's got to be yeah for for sure like a bald eagle presiding you know, over all of us doing a screech, you know, whatever it is it's with its dark, uh, with its dark feathers, which is kind of like a robe around its bald head, which many, many judges are bald. And as for Harvey Birdman, Peter, uh, I've watched one episode of Harvey Birdman. I don't have a great handle on exactly what his role is in the episode I watched. He was, uh, it was a custody battle involving Johnny quest, which is an amazing show. If you guys haven't watched it, Go check it out. You're not doing anything. You're on pandemic. You're on lockdown. Harvey Birdman was battling somebody for custody of Johnny Quest. It was great. That's the only episode I've ever seen. But I feel like uh, Harvey Birdman's, he's not even really a bird, so I'm not sure how he would fit into bird court. Peter, you got me. We, we finally, I finally had to answer one of your weird questions. I hope that was satisfactory. Love it. Love it. Way to go, Pete. Way to keep us uh, on our toes with those questions. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Man. 
keeping our jobs interesting. Um, all right. So the next one comes from Keith McLean of the clan McLean at the clan McLean. He says, if smoked meat is served on and consumed in some form of bread slash bun slash tortilla, is it still considered barbecue? Easy answer is yes. Absolutely. Yes. Um, you know, brisket on a bun is still definitely barbecue. Um, bread if you have big big thick slice of white bread and you put a bunch of meat on it and you know, i mean that's all definitely um hamburgers if they're you know barbecue is kind of a interesting term because basically yeah, it, it is only means term. cooking meat over an open flame that's basically what like a dictionary definition of barbecue food is but like you can do that and create you know like he said tortilla which is you don't think of barbecue and tortilla but like our tacos barbecue i mean um, I, you put the pan you you know you pan fry the meat so not really over an open flame the way you would eh, you know you get into this, this is getting into like uh is a hot dog a yes, sandwich that's exactly the same type of question and i'm yeah, sure that was yeah. um some intent there but i think in general if you're talking about does it, adding bread subtract something's value of being a barbecue i will say hell no all right, I've got one from Garrick Baldwin at Baldwin underscore Garrick. Uh, if you're Veach and Reed, what kind of deal do you work out with Fuller slash Breland, if any? Well, Fuller's off the table. Uh, also, who's your favorite CB1 coming out of the draft that you think might be available at 32, and do you take him? So uh, as far as Fuller and Breland, obviously, Fuller is already signed. Breland's still out there, and at this point, it kind of feels like he, yeah, surprisingly, for sure. The cornerback market is very strange. Uh, as we record this today, uh, Nickel Roby Komen signed a, a one-year, $1.3 million deal with the Eagles. Would have loved like, that. He's like pretty good. Yeah. Uh, the the market's just um, just the other day, Quentin Dunbar was traded for a fifth-round pick. I, the, the cornerback market is really strange. Um, as far as the draft goes, um, I, I mean, the obvious cornerback uh, one is Okuda. He's not going to be available, I'm sure, when the Chiefs pick, barring some <laughs> extremely strange turns of events. Uh, obviously if he was available anywhere near the chief striking distance at 32 would take him, but it sounds like he's going to be a top five pick. Uh, as far as who might be available at 32, I've heard some, some rumors about Bryce Hall, who was a, a teammate of Juan Thornhills at Virginia. Uh, his, his mock, you know, Taylor and I are not big mock guys, uh, but I try to keep tabs on it because obviously it's important and that's what you do this time of the off season. Um, I've seen him, you know, mocked at the end of the first round, which would be pick 32 for the chiefs. I've seen him go late in the second round. So, you know, potentially with that second round pick, I'd say, you know, if, if you can get what you think is going to be a starting cornerback with your second round pick at the end of the second round, for sure, shoot your shot. I think the first round, you know, pick 32 it kind of depends on who the guy is and it depends on who else is available. Like I'm always a big proponent of best player available um, when you can do that, but the chiefs do have some pretty defined needs. So I think if the right guy's there at 32 uh, and certainly at the end of the second round at, at 64, uh, shoot your shot. And if that's Bryce Hall, I'm all about reuniting him and Juan Thornhill. That seems like it'd be a, be a good deal. Yeah. I love that. And you know, Thornhill was a second round pick. That type of talent is instant, you know, instant upgrade type of starter material. So that's, uh, if you pick a position of need, which cornerback absolutely is, then yeah, I agree with you. 
my, my yeah, and again, I mean, and again, we're just talking about the the continuity aspect. I mean, if you can go out and swoop up a guy that you think has the talent to start a cornerback who happens to have been a teammate of a guy that you're already starting at, you know, free safety, it seems like an ob- seems like an obvious choice. Yep, agreed. So I really liked my next question, which was uh, from James Partridge at Fun and James eighty five, and he said, "Rank the five best pre Mahomes football games at Arrowhead." Ooh. So. You know, um, he said best games. So I have some in here which were best for Chiefs fans and some in here which were good games. Um, So I'll start with number five. Which was obviously Titans at Chiefs in the 2017 playoffs, right? No, no. Okay. Not at all. all. No, No, that was not a good game in any way, shape, or form. (laughs) Uh, I did pick a playoff loss here, though. Oh, interesting. So, okay, let let me quiz you since you haven't seen my list. Um, if I were to pick a good game at Arrowhead that was a playoff loss, what's the first thing that comes to your head? Uh, no punk game. Yeah. Good, good call. Okay. So that's what I picked 38, 31 Colts. Um, despite it being gut wrenching for the 13, three number one overall seed chiefs. Um, it was still a great game. There was, uh, just the one turnover, which was a priest Holmes fumble after a 48 yard rush. And, um, you know, it was Peyton Manning at his absolute finest. He threw for, he was 22 of 30 for 304 yards and three touchdowns. Um, basically could do no wrong. The Colts only had one penalty and they were eight of 10 on third downs. Ugh. Like they were perfect. They were absolutely yeah. perfect. And they only beat the chiefs by a touchdown. So it was, uh, and the chiefs did get the ball back with 14 seconds left down seven. So like, you know, it was uh, it was what it was. It was a tough time for old Dick Vermeil, but um, great game. I'm sure people that had no rooting interest in Chiefs or Colts were thoroughly entertained by the number one seed getting beat within a game that was no punts and had, you know, 69 nice total points. <laughs> so that was my number five game. My number, okay. my number four game, I was thinking about the revenge that the Chiefs had um, – the very next year in October of 2004. So the Colts came back to Arrowhead. The Chiefs were two and four. The Colts were four and two. Peyton Manning, still awesome. And it was another absolute shootout. It was a 45-35 Chiefs victory instead of, so obviously it doesn't feel quite as good because it's not the playoff win, but it does feel good to go come immediately back. The same team that just came into your house and beat you and you're able to, you know, push him back. Uh, the Colts cut the lead late to 38, 35. The chiefs then scored a late Tony Gonzalez touchdown to win by 10. Um, Trent green was on, he was money that game. Um, he had 389 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. So, I mean, that was one of the best Trent green games for sure of his chiefs career. Yes. And uh, Peyton threw five touchdowns. He threw 472 yards and five touchdowns that game. So, Oof. I mean, it was a absolute barn burner, but the, Colts did have a turnover and they had seven penalties and they were only three of 10 on third down. So you tweak a couple of those key statistics. And instead of walking out of a no punt game with a win there, the first punt happened in the third quarter in that game. So another crazy one, but um, you know, 45, 35 chiefs. I do remember as a, Oh, I was probably 17 during that game. Um, feeling that relief that they were able to push back that Colts ghost one more time uh the number three game i have is the uh fourth and 48 game against the raiders 
It was Oof, a, that was a fun one. It was a super fun one against Terrell Pryor. They set Terrell the, Pryor yeah, quarterback. Yeah, right, right. They set the um, Guinness record the first time. They ended up setting it again later, but this was the first yeah, established and, Guinness record. And um, yeah. it, you know, it was twenty-four to seven, so it wasn't exactly a good game, but it was certainly a fun and good game for Chiefs fans. It was their sixth win of the year. We were six and zero after this win, and it was Andy's first year, and. Um, there was a, you know, Oakland actually started that game off. We won 24 to seven, but they started it off with a 39 yard touchdown pass in the second quarter to go up seven, nothing. And then Jamal had two touchdowns and Hussein Abdullah had a sweet 44 yard interception return. And, uh, you know, that fourth and 48, I'll never, ever forget as long as I live. The Raiders started that drive off from their 18 yard line. Right. And then they get to the 50. And it's first, it's first and 10 at the 50, so they need to get to the 40. And then it was a holding call, holding penalty to drop them 10 back, a Tomba Holly sack to drop them 12 more back. So then it was third, second and 32. Delay of game, which was amazing. The crowd was going. That, I think that delay of game might have actually been the moment the Guinness record was broken. Um, yes. But it was five more yards there, so it was second and 37. And then Eric Berry comes in with an 11-yard sack, and it was third and 48, short middle pass that was knocked down, and fourth and 48. Marquette King punts 46 yards. So his, his 46-yard punt didn't even make it to where they had to get the first down. Absolutely surreal moment in Arrowhead. Amazing. Yeah. And then number two, I picked a game that I have never seen and that I will – I'm going to – scour the internet and look for some sort of game footage for this because I've been dying. I've been talking about this game for weeks. Uh, this was a chiefs Chargers oh, game from 1986. Yeah. It yeah. was a 42 41 chiefs victory. It is the most points combined um, with, or the most, the first time an opponent had scored 40 and lost in Arrowhead only time. And uh, it, it, it's got it all. Uh, the, the Chargers turned the ball over five times and lost by a single point. They Ugh. had – Classic Chargers TV. This. This, gets, this gets so good. They had two passers pass for uh, – so Dan Fouts passed for 200 yards. He was 19 of 33 for 200 yards. And Mark Herman was 18 of 32 for 181 yards. So they did, had did, – Did somebody get hurt? Like uh, They must have. I don't know. I haven't seen the play-by-play. <laughs> I haven't seen the film. I've only looked at this box score, and I'm dying for more information. So You know, I was just there, looking up – Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, I was just looking up this Elway – for this Elway thread today, and, like, it's impossible to find information yeah. about gay. It's impossible. It's impossible. There, it's just like, not out there. It's just not out there. Yeah. So if anyone has a link to, I don't care if it's pirated or whatever, just a link to Chargers Chiefs to 1986, 42, 41 Chiefs, I will freak out. Uh, so I was going through the box score because while the Chargers had two passers pass for 180 and 200 yards, the Chiefs also had two passers. Bill Kenny <laughs> was six for nine, nice, for 97 nice. yards. And Todd Blackledge was six for 15 for 69 yards. Also nice. nice. But we had two quarterbacks that didn't top a hundred yards and they had two quarterbacks that totaled 380 yards. And that is ridiculous. Yes, it is ridiculous. And uh, so we had a total of, so we had 166 yards passing, right? So you figure, well, we probably had to run the ball a ton because there's no way that we kept up with a team that threw for 380 yards and the chargers also rushed for 131 yards. So you figure the chiefs had to have run for 200, right? 
But no, I would think. No, the Chiefs ran for 64 yards that game. What? Yes, so total yards. How did we score 42 points? Total yards is 222 for the Chiefs to 512 for the Chargers. What? Yes, yes. (laughs) It is the most absurd win I've ever seen. Here's here's how we score. Stephon Page, 45-yard pass from Todd Blackledge, 7-0 Chiefs. Then they get a seven-yard pass from Dan Fouts, 7-7. Then we have a 56-yard pick six, which you figure has <laughs> got to be. And then we have a 21-yard special teams fumble recovery on the kickoff. Nice. Then we go up 21-7 on a pick six and a fumble six. Then they get a one-yard rushing touchdown, and then we get a 47-yard pick six again. Oh, my God. So we had 28-14 with like probably this- 10 yards of offense. Is explaining a lot it about is. why Dan Hapfouts hates us so much. <laughs> it's probably us. this one game. He it's us. probably having flashbacks to this one game yep. where we ran, where we had 200 total yards yes. and we beat them. But 42-41, yeah. too, was a shootout. They, yeah. they eventually, the Chargers had another pick six of their own to cut it to 28-24, so they came right back. And then Stephon Page caught another touchdown, and then they got a rushing touchdown, and then they kicked a field goal to go 34-35, right? So this was this was one part that intrigued me about it. Chiefs score, one-yard rushing touchdown, go up eight. Chargers score, the third score of the fourth quarter. I don't have a time stamp on it, but it's got to be late because it's the third score of the fourth quarter. But, yeah. But they were down eight, but because there was no two-point conversion yet, they could only kick the extra point, <laughs> so they lost 42-41. <laughs> It's amazing. It's it amazing. It is. So, uh, as I said, even though I've never seen this game, I will. I I, I need. It's to see on this your. Game. It's number two on your list, even without seeing it, <laughs> yes. because it's just so magical. It's absurd. Uh, All right. What's number one? Can you guess? Uh, so it's pre Mahomes. Uh huh. And it's at Arrowhead. Uh huh. Those are the only really two requirements. Uh, is it? Uh, and it's a game that you watched uh, I or well i guess I, not it's i've watched you just games picked any games. my whole life but i did okay, well, i did sure. watch this game uh is it montana it's not okay it uh, is, i don't know you you tell me it is the night before the wild card game oh well that's game. a good yes i was at this game yes. and it was an incredible game yes you're talking about the monday night massacre <laughs> i am talking about the monday night massacre the chiefs 41 oh, that the was Patriots a great game 14 uh, Tom Brady was benched. Jamal had three touchdowns. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo Jimmy's, made his NFL debut, I believe. And threw a touchdown. That's right. He was six of seven for 70 yards and a touchdown. And there was a quarterback controversy in New England. Tom Brady was 14 of 23 for 159 yards. One touchdown, two picks, looked completely lost. We're Absolute, on to Cincinnati. We're on to Cincinnati. It was that game. That's exactly right. Um, Man, Alex Smith iconic. caught him up. 20 of 26, 248 and three touchdowns. Um, it, everything worked this game. It was just, it was a bloodbath. It was 41-7. It was 27 nothing Chiefs. And then 41-7, and then they scored a late pass from Jimmy G. And then, of course, this was also, as you said, the day before the wildcard game. So yeah. what I remember about this game, attending it in person, uh, this was the first, I think that was the first night game I had gone to at Arrowhead. And I also went, we both went to the wildcard game the following day. But what was amazing about that was I know there were some Royals players in attendance. And then, you know, in the fourth quarter, I mean, even just in the second half, because it was such a blowout, like there were all kinds of let's go Royals chants. 
Yes. And on the way out, you know how everybody, when they're walking out of Arrowhead, you know, circular bikes, ramp, absolute savages <laughs> were yes. banging on the banging on the metal on the ramps, and they were doing that and chanting, you know, "Let's go Royals" oh, and all that. It was incredible. Chills. It was, Literally chills, it, just you. Said yeah. That. Oh, it was it was amazing. It was that was a great great choice. Love that game. Thank you. Yep. That was uh, I love the question. Uh, best games at Arrowhead, a lot of fun stuff to pick from. I also did want to bring up that we had a two-week stretch in, this is ridiculous, uh, in 2006, the Chiefs went, or sorry, in 2002, the Chiefs went 49-0 against the Cardinals and then 49-10 the very next week. So they had, it was uh, two back-to-back, 49-10 was against the Rams. Uh, just thought that was a uh, fun little yeah, I mean, you know, that that would have been a fun time to Dick be at a narrow for sure. Yep, absolutely. So that was a great question. Uh, what do you got? I've got a question from Adam Gay at Adam G underscore KC. Got an FMK, fuck, Mary kill, Dennis, Mack, and Charlie. And then we have a D, Waitress, Carmen, post-surgery. So that would be the tranny. For those of you who haven't watched Always Sunny in Philadelphia, you're not going to get this question. Right. Go watch it, though, because it's good. And you're in quarantine. Like, you you don't have anything better to do. Just go find it. Watch it. It's great. You should start with the gang gets quarantined, by the way. You should, because it's very, very on point. Did you see that Rob McElhaney tweet where yeah. somebody tweeted him and was like, when are you guys going to do a quarantine episode? And he was like, <laughs> old. <laughs> who, who, wants, who wants to tell him? Yeah. Um, yeah. So Dennis Mac, Charlie, uh, fuck, Mary kill. So I'm going to start with Mary. This is an easy one yeah. for me. Easy it's for definitely, everybody. It's definitely Charlie. Of course. And that's because Charlie is like the only member of the gang who isn't an extremely shitty person. Right. Uh, he is, you know, he's, he's got his quirks. He can't read and, you know, but he, he's imagine not, every day he, with Charlie. Yeah. I mean, and it would always be an adventure. <laughs> yeah. You know, he, he is a very dedicated person in his own way. So for sure, marry Charlie. Um, so then it's <laughs> fuck and kill. Yeah. I, I probably would fuck Mac. Yeah. Uh, and then kill Dennis yeah, because that's what they would both want. Yeah, because uh, let's face it, Dennis he would only be in it for himself, and Mac I feel like you know he would he would he would want to make it he'd want to make it pleasurable for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's what that's what I'm gonna have to go with. Uh, then for <laughs> then for D waitress and Carmen, mm, that's hard because I don't know a whole lot about Carmen. She only appears in her the personality. Two, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, her personality, right? But she and and frankly, I don't know a whole lot about the logistics of post surgery, <laughs> like how that would work um, exactly. Um, I'm gonna go with kill D. Yeah, easy. Just easy, easy. choice. Then probably, uh, I don't know, probably fuck waitress Mary Carmen. Sure. I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, it, 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 basing it off of the limited data, I, I'd say. <laughs> I'd say that's that would have to be my choice. Do you have an answer to this, by the way? I, I you, were you gonna? I the answered same? them myself, and it was the same for both. Of them. Okay, so all right, okay. I'm was, glad we're on the same page. Uh, that was correct. I, I feel that was like a great. That was a great question. I appreciate getting a pure, always sunny question. Agreed. You know, being able to work that in here. Agreed. So now we'll go to a pure physics question, which is right up my alley. A pure physics question. Yeah, championship swagger okay. at Brandon right. four two two asked if you were to drill a hole straight through the earth and jump in, would you always be considered to be falling, or would you be flying once you pass the halfway point? 
this actually sounds like a phys- uh, this sounds like a philosophical question. No, it's, but I'm gonna it's let very you physics it. based. Okay. I'll, I'll explain right. why. Okay. Uh, okay. Also, would you right. shoot out the other side or would gravity slow you down to a stop by the surface of the other side? So he's got well, no, that he's thought about this. He's thought about this a lot, and fortunately, so have scientists. So um, I did a little research to make sure that my understanding of the physics involved here were correct, and they were. Uh, the first thing is obviously drilling a hole straight through the earth and jumping in is an extreme feat of science that we're not able to comprehend yet. But assuming that that gets pulled off um, and we would have the hole, you know, protected from the liquid hot magma in the middle of the earth and all that fun sure. stuff, you know, it's just a vacuum hole. Okay. No air resistance. Um, you would be falling until you hit the center and then you would technically by, falling you would be falling you're going towards the center of gravity and once you met past the halfway point you go out the other side you are no longer falling you're technically flying so good thought there he wanted to know what the definition would be there because you would be moving away from the center of gravity you'd be slowing okay all right um if there is no air resistance then the way that gravity works is you will be you will not hit terminal velocity ever so you will fall, 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 and go faster and faster than the, you'll be going the fastest the moment you hit the middle. And then the middle will be pulling you and you'll be going slower, 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 okay. slower, back All to the right. other side. Okay. And you literally come to a stop at the moment you jump in from the other no. side. Yes. No, yes. Because it's the, it's, you lose all, you don't create or destroy any energy there. So it all turns from kinetic energy to potential energy. And you hmm. go from falling at one amount of energy and then that energy slows and saps back out of you and then at the very exact opposite end you just come to a complete stop so the only problem is that say you are dropped from the middle for into this hole then when you come to a stop at the other end you're just now in the middle of that hole and if you don't grab onto something or if you don't get stopped you're then just going to fall back through the hole and go the other you know go to the other side of the earth so you've got to have some way of once you get to that other side of actually stopping yourself somehow, but assuming you got that figured out, you've already drilled the hole through the center of the earth. You already, you already kind of have stuff. Sure. Yeah. It sounds like uh, it would be a pretty, pretty neat little thrill ride if we could ever figure out the technology. And it would take 42 minutes. Really? Yep. That's Is how that long, all? that's how long it would take for terminal velocity to um, assuming it's a vacuum. Anybody that, that enters in one end of the earth would exit out the other side 42 minutes later, no matter the size. What? Yep. That is the most implausible part of this answer. 42 minutes to go around the earth. Huh. Well, that is the answer to the light, the universe and everything. Yes. And also it doesn't even have to be through the direct center of the earth. If you drill the hole from the United States to China or somewhere on the other end, I know you wouldn't want to do that right now, but that (laughs) well, maybe you would. It's safer than here. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Uh, Well, that would also take 42 minutes because the center of gravity is pulling you less than it would be going directly through it. So in every two points on the earth if they are passing through the middle of it go through uh take 42 minutes to go from one side to the other huh i learned that i learned that 42 minutes part when i was looking this up i I understood a lot of that but that was i thought that was pretty fun all right so my next one here is a banger this is uh zach the lame shift the rose bowl right parade man at the layman sturms (laughs) what up zach (laughs) if you had to prosecute john elway for crimes against football, what would your opening statement be? I have prepared something, so let me let me go ahead and get. I got to get my my court my court posture on. I got to sit up here. 
uh, take a deep breath. Let me just pull up my notes here. Obviously, if I was really in court, this would be memorized. I would never get in front of a jury and read an opening statement. That's amateur hour. But <clears throat> Hall of Famer, legend, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. When you hear the name John Elway, these descriptions might come to mind. You may think you know who John Elway was. You may think after collecting your football cards growing up in the 1980s, reading your headlines in the Sports Illustrated in the 1990s, or even catching the NFL Top 100 Player Special in 2020, that the things you've heard about John Elway are true. Ladies and gentlemen, they are all lies. In the course of this trial, you will get to know the real John Elway. You'll see hard evidence that he was a mediocre player propped up by the flowery pros of sports writers who had to sell their newspapers. You'll see John Elway compared to player after player, not just those who came after him, but his very own peers. And you'll realize that he doesn't measure up. You'll realize that John Elway was a fraud. Ladies and gentlemen, the defense will try and distract you. They'll point the finger at Dan Reeves, John Elway's first head coach. They'll try and blame him for the lack of statistical production, for the mediocrity of John Elway's career. But the evidence will show you, ladies and gentlemen, that Dan Reeves, he could win with guys like Craig Morton and Chris Chandler. And not just Craig Morton and Chris Chandler, but old Chris, Craig Morton and old Chris Chandler. Dan Reeves wasn't the problem, ladies and gentlemen. John Elway was. John Elway wasn't a great quarterback. The evidence will prove that John Elway was not a great quarterback. And at the conclusion of today's trial, we will ask you to find him guilty of crimes against football. Thank you. Guilty. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I was feeling it. That it's great. I, yeah, well, I, I, I appreciate Zach. Uh, that was a, an outstanding mailbag prompt. And uh, if anybody wants to in the future, give me similar prompts for opening <laughs> statements. Uh, that's obviously way, right super, your <laughs> way super up my alley. Yeah. I also, I'm not going to court right now. I have a desk job right now, which was very well-timed with the whole, you know, coronavirus thing. So, you know, you know, I, I got to get my court on from now and now and again. So it, it would be great. It'd be good. I love what that. you got. That was awesome. I'm uh, sorry that you have to follow that. I'm but. just gonna I'm just gonna plow through it. There's just yeah, no you gotta way. you gotta bring it. There's no bring other it, way. bring it, bring it. Uh, Jordan Scarin at Jordy Porty Senior asked if characters from Sunny played football, what positions would they play? Now, oh, this is a great. They question. had played football. They played football, and the game gets invincible. It's a great. That is it's true. a great episode. Shows us a little glimpse into kind of their characteristics and some of their mentality towards football. Um, so I did lean in pretty heavily to that. Uh, Dennis, of course, would be a wide receiver because, of course. Uh, as he says, hitting's not really my thing, coach. <laughs> <laughs> it's also it's perfect because it's a it's a total glamour position. Yeah, yeah, you he's know, a wide receiver. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, Dennis is absolutely a prototypical wide receiver, and uh, you know he can run out and hook in, and uh, he can do all this all that type of stuff. He might get hit in the face with a football every once in a while, but you know, that's all wide receivers get hit in the face with a football every once in a while. So that's fine. Uh, Charlie, I struggled with this for a little bit until I realized that he also had a football position. He was the mascot 
So he will continue to dress oh, up sure. as Green Man or whatever NFL mascot he so chooses. And he'll go out there and trip on a little acid and dance around and be Charlie. So, uh, you know, in that way, Charlie, Green Man. Charlie never gets hurt, which is always a plus for everybody because he's a fan favorite. So uh, Charlie mascot. Uh, D is going to demonstrate her ability to kick this ball 60 yards and she's going to do it <laughs> as a woman. <laughs> so D obviously has those giant pendulum legs. And at the end of those legs feet like wrecking balls and, uh, she'd be a punter and she would, uh, she was clearly able to punt the ball once really effectively. And that would be the only position that she would find any success because she has bones of glass and, uh, you know, that's how that goes. <laughs> literally shatter the moment she sets foot on that field exactly uh the only two that main characters that were not really involved there uh frank who was stuck in the uh (laughs) i was gonna say the mcpoyle bathroom but he was really just stuck in a trash can the whole time uh he would be the head coach frank is the brains he does not have a body built for football he's the best at scheming he is the best at scheming and he would absolutely do anything to win he would be a belichickian type he would lie cheat and steal um frank would be he'd be he'd be bugging the babies (laughs) he would be bugging the babies that's exactly right uh so frank head coach and then finally for mac um i thought about his protective nature being the sheriff of patties and i also thought it would be really funny to see a skinny dude play offensive line so just for just for the uh the humor factor alone for the lulls i have mac as a left tackle and he could try and nice. protect the quarterback and fail miserably and do a bunch of karate moves and could be Well, fun. you know, you know, Fat Mac. He, ah, he, Fat Mac would Fat, be a great offensive line. Fat Mac would have been, try moving, bro. Try, try moving, moving, bro. bro. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You're exactly right. All right. So yeah, that works. I mean, you know, he that just have perfect. to, he just have to bulk up and be the monster, you know, barreling towards <laughs> us. Love that question. Thank you, Jordan. I've got a question from, Brian Lefebvre at Pete at P Flub. Uh he's great. A longtime follower. Love that guy. What is Waitress's name? You guys are gonna be so confused again. What just watch, just watch Always Sunny. It's so good. Just say waitress. Just say waitress. Yeah, so uh I'm a I'm a proponent of the uh, Nikki Potnik theory. I I mean the uh the gang uh what what is that episode uh maureen ponderosa wedding massacre no 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 it's the it's the the graduation yeah yeah but what gang goes to their reunion yeah whatever (laughs) whatever it is reunion yeah it's a two-parter uh jason um jason sudeikis is in it as a guest character it brings a lot of the fun uh you know side characters back into one episode it's a great one uh frank gets in as nikki potnik and uh, the waitress then shows up and her name tag is not there. So I'm a proponent of that theory, but I just, you know, just say waitress. That's, that's the, that's the, that's the way you got to handle it. You know, just say waitress. Who? 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 Yeah. Filed under W for waitress. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Uh, No stars. (laughs) Not good. (laughs) In my room, you're always being recorded. Uh, Our, this is from Brent powers at TD under MFL add-ons. He says, are mock drafts more worthless than Stephen A. Smith yelling about every topic? And look very clearly mock drafts are not more worthless than the most worthless (laughs) thing on television, which is Stephen A. Smith yelling about things that he knows nothing about. Um, I'm just not a fan of mock drafts. It doesn't necessarily mean that I don't see their utility for learning who different players are and an exercise in 
you know, trading down and, and the structure of the draft. And there's some really cool, fun things about mock drafts. And let's face it, it's still just playing around with football players and, and football structure and all that stuff. And I, I do get, I'm a, I'm a big Madden guy. Like I get the whole mock draft thing. I just don't really feel the need to do it is kind of where my head's at. With yeah. This. But I mean, you just compared like Stephen A. Smith yelling about dumb stuff is like the dumbest thing on TV. So yes, mock drafts are clearly more valuable than that. I agree. So we got uh, one final question from vitamin J at vitamin underscore J with all of the fear about the coronavirus and your penchant for comparisons, can you make NFL player comparisons to all the major pandemic infectious diseases of this century, SARS, MERS, Ebola, Zika, flying, swine flu, bird flu, etc.? cetera? No, no, I can't do that. But, but I did come up with one comparison that I feel is spot on. Ebola virus. All right, so what are the characteristics of the Ebola virus? Not highly infectious, thank God, because the world would already be over if that were the case. Not very easy to spread, but when you get it, you die, and you die horribly. So when you're a virus, right, you got two main goals. One goal is to infect as many people as possible. The other goal is to kill as many people as possible, okay? And when you're a quarterback, you've got two goals. One is to make the playoffs, and one is to win the Super Bowl, and they're the Ebola virus, not good at making the playoffs, but man, when it gets in, it is in. It's you over. Are, you are dead. So the Ebola virus of the NFL is Eli Manning. Mm, that is uh, perfect. Not a very high hit rate, pretty crappy most of the time. But man, when he gets down in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl against the 18 and 0 New England <laughs> Patriots, <laughs> He is going to kill Tom Brady and Bill Belichick dead. And then he's going to do it again. <laughs> he kills him dead twice. It's great. So I, vitamin J, I cannot possibly, I couldn't possibly give you comparisons for everyone. Although I will keep thinking about it, but I'll give you that one. I feel very strongly Eli Manning, Ebola virus, lock it in. I love it. And, uh, you know, everyone has got to kind of keep a positive attitude about this whole coronavirus stuff. It's, uh, <laughs> it's gross and it's not going to be great and it's going to disrupt everyone's lives. Um, but you know, we're America. We've, uh, we've been through some bad stuff before and come out the other side. All right. And, uh, you know, just keep your head down and do what you're told and don't go around touching a bunch of other people until you're told you can. Yeah. Wash your hands, you dirty motherfuckers. We'll see you back next week.